Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here this morning for the Congregation of Prayer, Guide for Daily Meditation and Prayer Around God's Word, Wednesday, March 15th, 2023. We continue our catechesis today um, in Matthew's Gospel, although we're going to uh, change up the Old Testament reading, or excuse me, the first reading, which is listed on the chart as the second reading, but I do it out of order here. <clears throat> we're going to... Uh, pick up with John's gospel actually later on in our passion reading. So uh, no need to duplicate that. So we'll hear from Deuteronomy 19 today, connected to, of course, our reading for catechesis. All right. Uh, let's see. Tonight we have a meal at 530, divine service at 630. We'll consider Christian questions and their answers 13 through, I think I have 20 lined up. <clears throat> I'd have to go back and look. I haven't, haven't had a chance to prepare that yet. So, uh, well, I mean, the basic preparation I've already done. Of course, I uh, just need to finalize that. So you'll see the bulletin and, and whatnot tonight. Uh, I think that's it for now, so let's begin. Oop. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Memory verse. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Psalm 26, verse 8. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Psalm 26, verse 8. Our psalm for uh, this week was our psalm from this past Sunday. Let me pray it together. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right. Ooh, all sorts of fun buttons I could push here. <laughs> uh, let's not do that right now. Good. So, uh, catechism for the week, table of duties to hear what hearers of their pastors. Say it with me. The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Galatians 6, verses 6 through 7. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 through 18. 
Right. Our first reading today, which you'll see its relevance uh, to our text for catechesis, is from Deuteronomy 19. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. If a false witness rises against him, any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. Indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. All right. So two elements here that we want to talk about. The first is the use of eyewitnesses, but it is recognized here that eyewitness testimony can be falsified, right? Even two or three witnesses, um, you know, it's a reasonable standard of, of evidence. Uh, but as we know, two or three can still collude uh, or can, can be persuaded to collude against um, the innocent, as we'll see in, Jesus, in the text with Jesus today in the Sanhedrin, right? Um, so it does require that both the witnesses uh, be true and also that the judges or the priests who are serving and stand before the Lord serve um, with fear of the Lord, right? So they actually seek truth and not um, some kind of partisan or, or um, political kind of motivation as we see today, uh, not only in our text, but of course in our modern context, the courts have been um, highly politicized and manipulated and really aren't really truth-seeking organizations for the most part. Um, they're really about, um, well, it's a game gamesmanship, I shouldn't say for the most part. I say in some cases, right? Um, the courts can be uh, manipulated or coerced into the verdict that you're looking for, right? Um, maybe throughout, right? By bribery or uh, other means, right? Taking care of friends, that sort of thing. Uh, and that's always been the case. It's, it's true in, in our gospel reading for today. So um, don't think that that's new. Um, and so what that means is, as we talked about, actually at men's ministry on Sunday with the men, uh, we're talking about dispute resolution. And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 18, he encourages us uh, to go and reconcile with our brother privately or with uh, with a friend first uh, before we even take it to the church. All right. Or before a civil court, especially. Reconcile. Try to try to make every attempt to do it personally. Um, it's going to be far better um, because you can't rely upon the courts to solve your problems. And I know people think the courts are, gonna, are the answer. They're not. They don't really solve it. It may give you an abeyance for a while. Uh, often the courts are just providing kind of, some kind of restitution after the fact, after the damage has already been done. All right. So that's the first point. Second point, though, is the court is there. Um, a court is there not to dispense mercy or grace or forgiveness. The court is there uh, to dispense the law, right? And this is what we define as the first use of the law, which is the civil use or the the political use. That's what we call it. And this is the way the Holy Spirit applies the law in the context of of the civil sphere um, to bring about, um, well, that curb effect, as we learned it in our catechism instruction, right? Curb, mirror, guide. Remember those, that metaphor? So, this is this this means that you don't want your civil law to be lenient. Uh, you want it to, to to only have leniency where there where of course there is lying <laughs> taking place or where there's injustice. So you have a, a sufficient appeals process, right? Um, but on the other hand, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, um, hand for hand, foot for foot. If if civil government fails in this principal use, 
the way the Holy Spirit uses the law written on our hearts, um, then it no longer is civil, right? So um, I, I heard about a case, oh yes, where the, where the federal government, the Department of Justice was uh, seeking a um, death penalty for a terrorist. And they couldn't even convince the jurors um, that this man deserved death, even though he brought the deaths of many people. And so he was sentenced ultimately just to life in prison, which is not only more expensive, um, but not a sufficient deterrent to terrorists. That's the whole point, right? You kill um, U.S. citizens, you will, you forfeit your own life. Um, that's perfectly not only reasonable, but in keeping with God's word. And I know a lot of people think, well, that's not compassionate. Um, there are times where, of course, the death penalty is meted out incorrectly. And I think, you know, those times are not only lamentable, um, uh, often are sometimes avoidable, now especially with DNA evidence. I think with DNA, you actually end up having a stronger case for the use of death penalty because you have less chance um, to unjustly convict someone of death. All right. So anyway, um, first use of the law is here. And then also, of course, uh, the necessity of witnesses, but also the possibility of witnesses lying. All right. And especially when they work in concert with um, the priests and the judges, which is what we're going to see today. All right. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought, sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said together, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, he is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him and others struck him with the palm of their hands saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely also you are you one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man, and immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. All right. So catechesis time. Um to whom did they take Jesus? Remember the, the mob had arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane yesterday, or rather seized him. They take him to Caiaphas, the high priest. All right, and who followed? At a distance, yes, Peter. And where did Peter wait? The high priest's courtyard outside, right, waiting for word 
of what happens in the court. Uh, what were the chief priests doing? Right, violation of the Eighth Commandment, right? Seeking false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. All right, They've had their, their minds set on killing him for some time, but they're looking for a pretense to avoid, um, well, uh, accusation of wrongdoing, I suppose. Um, but they weren't successful, right? Why not? They couldn't find two liars, <laughs> go figure, who uh, would agree on their stories. All right. And then what charge did two men finally level in verse 61? This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it and rebuild it in three days. Right. Of course, uh, this is something Jesus actually said, which is why they agree. Of course, what did Jesus mean? He meant that he was able to destroy the temple um, of his body, right? And he would be raised again in the body on the third day. What was Jesus' response to the charges against him? Uh, apparently, it's nothing. Nothing, right? Yeah, and that, of course, is in keeping with Isaiah 53, like a lamb before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth, right? We'll hear that on Good Friday. Uh, what did they finally demand Jesus' answer? This is the accusation they knew they had in their pocket, right? I put you under oath by the living God, right? So now he's functioning as the judge, rightly, by God. Um, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God, right? And of course, Jesus' answer is he cannot lie. It is as you said. Um, and then refers to an interesting text. This is one that Jesus quotes, and then actually St. Stephen will quote as well when he's being martyred, right? A model picture of um, dying as Christ died. He quotes this text right here. It is, as you said, nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is Daniel um, 7, verse 13. You remember uh, Daniel 7 is a, um, a vision of uh, the eternal throne, right? Yeah, the vision of the Ancient of Days, right? I was watching the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. You see, again, like like I said, always go look at the more context. What else is happening in that text, right? So he is rightly claiming that he is um, the Christ, the Messiah who will come, um, who was prophesied by Daniel, right? To whom all the nations and peoples and languages will come. Um, his glory will never end, all of that. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So he's the eternal son of David then too. <clears throat> now the chief priest tears his clothes because he, uh, he he also understands Daniel correctly that this is describing um, what we would call God the Father and the Son, right? But the Ancient of Days and his right hand man, which is his son, right? So he tears his clothes. Um, but all uh, interestingly enough, later on, just as this high priest has tears his clothing, yet later Jesus' clothing will be torn from him, Matthew 27 right? So he is, of course, the high priest too. Of course, um, we should define blasphemy. What is blasphemy? What is this accusation they're making? Um, speaking against God's word, it can be uh, carelessly or uh, falsely or just uh, insultingly about not only God's word, but God and the holy things. Uh, in this case, it's, it's claiming divine attributes uh, for oneself by word or deed, all of which is true. Uh, the second half is true. He does, Jesus is claiming uh, divine for himself, right? 
but he cannot lie. <laughs> he is the son of God, right? And so that's why they accuse him of blasphemy, that he has identified himself as the son of God, right? The son of the living God. And then the, the right verdict for that is death, according to the law, right? For blasphemy, right? And then the priests, um, really, I think in behavior not uh, appropriate, <laughs> is they spit on, spit, spit on his face, they beat him, and they strike him with the palms of their face while challenging him to prophesy, right? So they're making a, trying to make a mockery of his office, but of course he suffers it. All right, now we have Peter, right? Who comes to Peter? Verse 69, a servant girl, right? Um, who claims that he had been with Jesus of Nazareth. And of course, Peter denies it, saying he did not know what the girl was talking about. All right. And then another servant uh, girl comes to him, another girl, and says this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, he uses an oath this time, I do not know the man. You can, so you can see his denials becoming more emphatic the closer they're getting to the truth here. All right. And then they, another comes and says, uh, your accent betrays you, right? Your manner of speech. And so now he curses and swears a second commandment, right? Saying, I do not know the man. And then, of course, the rooster crows, which is uh, not surprising because it's exactly as Jesus had said. And he, remembering those words, uh, Peter rightly having his sin exposed here, uh, goes out and weeps. All right, so let's summarize the text. Caiaphas tore his clothes and accused Jesus of blasphemy, but Jesus was stripped of his clothes and became the final high priest and to offer the last sacrifice. Though they brought many false witnesses, the Jewish authorities were unable to find any real guilt in Jesus. The only accusation that they could find involved two witnesses agreeing to twist Jesus' own words, which he spoke of his resurrection. The sinless Son of God acknowledged that he was the Christ, as they said, but otherwise remained silent. He had already spoken words of prophecy to them, and they had not heard. Peter denied his Lord three times, but then remembered the words of Jesus and wept bitter tears of repentance. Peter remembered the preaching that Jesus of Jesus that the chief priests had not heard. Like Peter, we are called to remember the word of Christ, which has been preached to us, that we may daily return in repentance and in trust in the word of forgiveness. All right, uh, question. So actually, I should greet. Michael and Vicky are on YouTube. Uh, Grace's mom is on uh, Facebook, along with Gus and Eileen, Karen, Don and Karen, and Chris. Um, there's a question. It is so easy to judge Peter here, but I have to wonder, would I do the same? I'd like to think not, of course. Yeah, when push comes to shove. Um, I mean, part of the aspect here is is that uh, that it is in keeping with the scriptures that Jesus will be completely abandoned, not only by his own, but by his father. So there is that aspect of it. Um, but Peter will ultimately end up dying like Christ anyway. It just was not yet his time. Um, how would one be able to have strength to withstand and, or, or to speak truthfully or to confess rightly here in this situation? It's only going to come by um, the Holy Spirit, right? Working through his word. So um, all things are being accomplished according to the scriptures. Uh, according to God's will, and even Peter's uh, rebellious unbelief ends up being a model for us of how Jesus even then does not forsake Peter, but returns to him, as he promised, in Galilee, and forgives him. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep, right? Three times he absolves him for the three uh, rejections that he makes, which is the model of the Christian life. Um, not that we always stand firm in the word, although we pray for that, and we certainly strive for that in faith, 
and yet we know um, that that no matter what, Christ loves us and um, gave his life for us, and it stands ready at hand to forgive us. All right. It's not a license for sin, um, but it's it's the freedom to act in faith. All right? Okay. So, oh, Lori, good to see you checking in, too. All right, let's sing our hymn for the week. Uh, May God bestow on us his grace. Um, and I wanted to check and see what mode this is in. <laughs> Sometimes when uh, the tune sounds a little less, um, what do you want to say, appealing to us, it's often because um, some of these older tunes are following um, a modal harmony that's different than a lot of the harmony you're used to hearing. So... Uh, let's see. Tune, tune, tune. May God bestow on us his grace. 823, 824. Where's the tune name? There it is. Derivation. Hymn tune place. Um, dun, 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 dun. Scholarly debates on the tune's origin. Is it not going to tell me what mode it's in? Oh, that's too bad. That would be a nice note to include in your hymnal commentary. All right. Well, I think it's D minor. Um, but it might be in actually a medieval mode. And then I could try to find a um, try to find a, a comparable uh, modern pop song that is in the same key, and then you can hear that it's um, what kind of character this kind of tune has. All right. All right. So let's sing. Judge 
Uh, the key is widely used in classical music, <laughs> D minor, if it's D minor. Um, I think it's it's like a harmonic minor. I can't remember how that works. Um, um, there's an article here on Rolling Stone that I can share with you um, talking about how um, D minor is like the heartbreak key. <laughs> so that's how it's that's how it's heard in uh, like a modern uh, into modern ears. All right. But that's not how it was classically heard. So this is the thing is that change, um, is that there's a change of key, right? So now uh, Eileen is saying it's an E with no sharps. Or it starts on an E and ends in a B with no sharps and flats in TLH. All right, so that would be C, but starting on, on, the, uh, on the fifth, right? Uh, no, that would be on the third and ending on the seventh. So... That's definitely medieval mode. I just don't remember which one it is. So I don't think it's actually D minor. Um, D minor, though, in classical music, is all over the place. It's very popular. Uh, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, which you probably know quite well. Uh, let's see. Art of the Fugue by uh, Johann Sebastian Bach is in D minor. Uh, let's see. Albert Einstein, in the history of tuning, has led D minor to be associated with counterpoint and chromaticism. For example, the chromatic fourth incites the chromatic fantasia in fugue in D minor. Mozart's Requiem is in D. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Beethoven's ninth is in, in D minor. But I don't know if it's actually D minor. So somebody's going to, somebody who knows classical modes, uh, that would be, yeah, I don't remember how this works. <laughs> you have to do the steps. So um, anyway, so E, so that's a half step, whole step. Yeah, anyway, I'll work on it later. Maybe if I have a chance, we'll figure out uh, what mode it's in. And then we can find music that uses that mode, all right, which has a, a certain tonality to it. All right. Anyway, a little bit of music theory there for you. All right, no commemoration today, so we'll continue with prayer. 
O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray today for marriage and family, that husbands and wives, parents and children, live in ordered harmony according to the word of God. For parents who must rear their children alone, for our communities and neighborhoods, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray today um, in Thanksgiving with Jean and Christian, who celebrate their birthday, with Taylor, who celebrates his baptism, with our households, especially that of Ashley, Marlene, Kevin and Mandy, Jeff and Julie, and Brian and Jim. Pray in Thanksgiving um, at the birth of Amalia Renee and commend her to the waters of baptism. We also give thanks to God for the baptism of Frida Lynette. Pray for our catechumens. We pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering, especially Joe, Kelsey, Walt, Christopher, Joyce, Brad, Betty, and Doug, Joan, John, Hosea, Pat, and Richard, our homebound, Marcella, Dan, Paul, Merlin, and Pauline. Pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially Camp Luisimo. We pray for those afflicted and those who are suffering. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, that's it for today for our congregation of prayer. But of course, join us again, 5.30 for meal, 6.30 for divine service this evening, as we will consider continue to consider the Christian questions and their answers, preparing us to receive Christ's body and blood in the sacrament. God be with you all. Keep you safe, and we'll see you again soon. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support and give today.